We've been talking about baptism, and last week uh, I was sharing with you a little bit about what we think is United Methodist and what our doctrine talks to us about and how it connects with the words of Jesus and, and the Bible. And talked a little bit about uh, different ways in which um, uh, other denominations see baptism, and we see it as a sacrament, and we truly believe it as God who's working. But we're working up to actually next Sunday. Next Sunday, uh, you'll hear a little bit more about it later, but it's, it's going to be a great day at 6 o'clock clock we're going to be gathered at um, over at uh, the the beach over at uh, see I keep saying siesta key uh, sand key I love siesta key by the way we'll be at sand key and we'll be gathering there we're going to everybody's going to bring a, a dish that they want to share we'll have some canopy set up we're going to have a nice meal and then we're going to go into the water and we're going to baptize those who have never been baptized before that would like to be as well as do remembrances of our baptisms uh, which uh, will include a lot of people let us know uh, what you would like to do with that and and how you'd like to participate and I'm kind of feeling like that maybe there's going to be someone walking on the beach that day that does not know who St. Paul United Methodist Church is, but sees what our witness is going into those waters, and someone is going to be touched, and we're going to be uh, bringing them into the kingdom of God as well. So I hope you're marking your calendars. Uh, make sure that you check on the website. All the information's there. Look it up on the app. It's going to be a truly a great day. Well, it's always good to see everyone gathered in church, especially also uh, welcoming those who are live streaming. You know, we reach out to about uh, just under 200 people a week uh, who aren't in church, but who are uh, live streaming. Some are on planes, some are sitting in airports, others are uh, in their jammies at home eating a nice little breakfast with their coffee, so we're, we're jealous, that's all I can say. Uh, but, but we're glad that you're with us, and you do make a difference, and as Felix said earlier, uh, take a moment and share with us your attendance on the Connect card. Let us know how we can pray with you. Well, um, our oldest daughter... Uh, lives in Mississippi with her family, and all I can say is that she is really pregnant right now. Um, you know, she's at that state where uh, next month, or I guess it's now this month, in September, uh, her baby will be born. It'll be their second. And, and she was sharing with me the other day just about how uncomfortable she feels right now. She says, you know, I, I just feel uncomfortable. I'm tired. My hormones are raging. And she said, and Dad, it goes anywhere from euphoria to excitement and all that to I'm hunting down and I'm going to bring to trial and, and really persecute the person that ate the last Twinkie in the house. You know, so she's, uh, she's really going through a lot. Uh, but, you know, um, thinking about that, I just keep reminding her, listen, the time is coming. The time is coming. Uh, your baby will be here soon, and, and we'll all be able to, to love the baby. And I was thinking about that. You know, in a couple of weeks, I'll be able to hold our, our, our newest uh, baby, a grandson. His name will be Henry. And uh, I'm just imagining what, what it's going to be like to hold a new baby again. And uh, looking in Henry's eyes, my, my guess is that Henry will be like his sister. He'll have ocean blue eyes, and, and uh, as, as uh, he's growing up and, and, and learning and things, uh, it, it'll become evident to me that early on as he's born and comes into the world, um, he's not going to have any worries. You know, Henry, coming out of his mother's womb, he's not going to worry about politics um, he's not going to worry about uh, his 401k. He's not going to worry about work and the job and all that stuff. Um, you know, he's not going to have any of the kind of worries that we have. He's not going to be depressed. Uh, he's not even going to be worrying about his death. All he's going to know at that moment is that he is incredibly loved and he is being nurtured in the arms of his mother, his father, and his poppy and nani, and, and all of us who will have a chance to be there. And, and I was thinking about, you know, what a great state of life 
to not have to worry about anything, but to know that you are loved tremendously by those who are a part of your life. And I realize that, that like my own life, and we all can understand too, that, that there will come a time when Henry gets a little bit older, and he'll learn that yellow jackets do sting and they hurt when they sting you. He'll learn that uh, if you reach inside of a, a beautiful bougainvillea bush, that uh, in, in the depths of the flowers are some really bad thorns. Uh, he'll learn about that, and he'll learn about uh, kids. He'll learn that uh, there'll be kids that will be nice to him. He'll learn that there'll be kids that will say bad things about him. And he'll learn that there are kids that will like uh, throw rocks at him and things like that. But that's a part of growing up, isn't it? That's a part of growing up. And uh, what, what we'll find, though, is that, that Henry, like we, will discover at a time in his life about the incredible love of God. That God has claimed Henry from the time in his mother's womb, even before that, as the scripture says in Jeremiah, and that he is loved and, he, and God will uh, uh, adore him and God will make sure. But you know, part of that is understanding that Henry is a part of a bigger family. And to be a part of a bigger family means that you and I are also a part of that family, right? And the important word that we need to understand is the word included. We will be included in, in, a, in a larger family as we become people of Jesus Christ. We are included in a great family, the family of God. You know, sometimes fitting in can be a problem, can it? We can uh, struggle with fitting in. We, we wonder, are we fitting in with uh, our neighbors? Are we fitting in with our friends in school? Are we fitting in with other people? And, and being a part of being included in something is so important. In fact, being included is a heck of a lot better than being excluded. Wouldn't you agree with me on that? You know, uh, kids, uh, how many kids? Do you remember maybe when you were a child or, or your children or grandchildren, or maybe if you were at that age now, do you remember those times when um, you were in school and they're picking teams? Do you remember that? You know, who wants to be on this team? Okay, you get to pick as a team captain. And do you remember when it got down to the final two and you were one of the final two? Do you remember that? You know, and then you were the last one to be picked. Do you, who said, oh no? <laughs> Listen, you are received and loved here at St. Paul. But you know, I, I just brought up somebody's bad memories. I apologize about that. But, but you know, uh, to be included, but, but we remember what it's like to be excluded. And students, you know, our, our youth and students that are in school, um, how many of them understand what it's like to um, be around their friends and all of a sudden their friends ask others to go do something with them and they don't get invited? Or worse yet, you come up to who you think are your friends at school, and all of a sudden they're talking, they see you, and everybody stops and looks at you, and they kind of uniformly get up and walk out of the room. It doesn't feel good to be excluded, does it? Maybe adults, maybe as an adult, you have had a time in your life where you have also felt excluded. And my guess is that many of us need to be reminded that we are not excluded, but that we are included. And being included is so important for us to know. You know, the world tries to label us. And I talked a little bit about the labels last week. The world says to be included, we have to look a certain way. We have to work in a certain place. We have to have a certain level of education. We have to be a certain con contributor back to our local community. That's when we're included. But you know what the Bible says? The Bible says that um, it's not our gender 
The Bible says it, it's not our ethnicity, it's not our race. The Bible says it's not even our sexual orientation that identifies who we are. The Bible says baptism is what identifies us as to who we are. And that when we are baptized, we are claimed as, as part of the kingdom of God. That that is the qualifier, the piece that the Holy Scriptures say that when we become baptized, we are somebody. It's not just who we are, but whose we are. In Acts chapter 10, an, an amazing thing is happening. You know, Luke is, the, is, uh, is a physician, but he's also a great historian. And I think that because he is a physician, he gives us a lot of details. And as he was um, interviewing the Apostle Paul and, and uh, getting a lot of what was happening in the life of the early church, Luke gives us a huge snapshot as to the importance of the growth of the early church. And that's what the book of Acts is. It is the Acts of the Apostles uh, who were the first disciples of the way of Jesus. And Luke is giving us a summary of all the things that God was doing through the power of the Holy Spirit to birth the church, the Christian church. And, and we're led to Acts chapter 10, and some amazing things are happening. But before that, uh, we find out that, that Peter is a part of this story. And Peter is an apostle of, of Jesus, an eyewitness of what Jesus was all about. And Peter is struggling about who's in and who's out, who's included and who's excluded. In fact, we know that, that Peter and Paul had some huge conversations as to whether one needed to become Jewish and then become Christian or whether one who was a non-believer of anything or of, a, of a, a follower of a Greek God could just become Christian. And we know that a lot of that conversation happened and God was growing both of those men. But Peter was, was not sure about the identity of others unless they had some sense of Jewishness in them. And Acts chapter 10 talks about how Peter has this vision and this vision is, it's about this huge meal that is being prepared. And, and if we recall, the cleanliness laws of Judaism said that there were only certain animals that they could eat, certain things that they could touch, and it was all about cleanliness. And God creates this vision for Peter, which is like this huge banquet table that is coming out, and it has all kinds of things on it, and it's stuff that Peter's not supposed to eat as one who became uh, uh, raised up in Judaism. So there's this conversation that's going on, and Peter gets downright offensive to God in a sense, and he's like, I am not going to do this. But listen to what God says in Acts 10, 15. The voice speaks out. This is God. God speaks to Peter. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. Did you catch that? Do not make anything impure that God has made clean. That is huge. That is huge for us to understand. That, that yes, in our fallenness, in our sinfulness, in our depravity, in all of those things, we all are impure. But because of, through our impurity, through God's righteousness, through Jesus Christ, we are made clean. That we are made clean. So Peter, in this story, now is taken to the home of a man named Cornelius. And Cornelius is a Roman centurion. And uh, Peter walks in this room, and he opens up this room, and there's all these people 
that are in this room like an assembly. And they're all in there. And they're neighbors and friends and people of Cornelius and people of the community. And Peter is sitting there wondering about whether they should be included or not. But he has now had this vision. And he comes in, as the scripture says, let's flip over to um, verses 27 to 28 in Acts. He says, Peter went inside and found a large gathering of people, and he said to them, you are well aware that it is against our law for a Jew to associate with a Gentile or visit them. A Gentile would be a non-Jew. It is, he says, that it's, against, it's against our law. We, we were not supposed to do this. We who are chosen or we who are included are not supposed to associate with you all who are excluded but let's go on what he says here but he says but God has shown me that I should not call any man impure or unclean did you catch that God showed Peter that he is not to call any person impure or unclean. Why? Because God has chosen us. Remember I told you that last week. God has chosen all of us to be reconciled unto him. Jesus died for all of us, not just believers. Jesus died for all humanity. And we're part of being chosen by God. And this week we're learning that means we're included. We are included in this magnificent family that God has given us. So Peter goes on to share that God does not show favoritism. That God just doesn't hang out with believers. In fact, if we go to Luke's Gospel, chapter 15, we see great, three great stories about the love of God, about how God is like a shepherd who leaves 99 to go find the one who is lost. How God is like a woman who loses a coin and turns over her entire house until she finds the one. That God is like the father of the prodigal, the son who spends everything that he has, and God welcomes us back. God is our God. Let's read on what it says here in verses 44. While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. The circumcised believers who had come with Peter, so these would be Jews that, are being, that had been converted to Christianity, they were circumcised. The circumcised believers who had come with Peter were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out, look what it says, even on the Gentiles. The Holy Spirit lives in all of us. Whether we realize it or not, whether we have given our life to Christ or not, the Holy Spirit is constantly wooing us to come back to God. Come back to God. Come back, it says. He says, for they heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. Then, then Peter said, can anyone keep these people from being baptized with water? And we learned last week that water is the symbolic means of an outward sign of an inward change. It is the mark of discipleship. He said they have received the Holy Spirit just as we have. So he ordered that they be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. This is really important. We've got to get this. The outsiders, the included, saw now that the excluded, the outsiders 
the insiders now see that the outsiders are a part of God's plan. And that God is not just building upon a handful of people to reveal himself. But God has so loved the world that he gave his son. And that our faith, whether it's the faith that we're taught by our parents, the faith that we learn growing up through confirmation, the faith that comes to us later in life, it is by our faith in Jesus that we see this transformation become real. And this is why it's important for us to see that, that we all have an identity. And our identity is in Jesus Christ. It's not what the world tells us our identity is, but it's through the waters of baptism that we are identified as the family of God, that we are the children of God, and the significance comes into our life. I've, I've often wondered what, what about the church, that maybe the church would be even smaller than instead of using water as a sign of baptism, that maybe we took out like a purple Sharpie pen. You know, when, we, when I baptize or when pastors baptize people, we not only administer the water upon them, but we, we mark the sign of the cross. And the sign of the cross is the sealing of the Holy Spirit in the life of the person that has just come into new life. But what if instead of sealing the forehead with water, what if I just whipped out a purple Sharpie pen and went, then you'd have to wear it outwardly, wouldn't you? It wouldn't wipe off. Then everybody would know that you're a Christian. And how would the world be different if that were the case? But you know, you, you may have heard some people who've said, I was baptized Presbyterian, or I was baptized Lutheran, or I was baptized United Methodist. And it's almost as if we, we kind of have this ritualistic piece of, well, that's, we're baptized as a Methodist, or we're baptized as a Presbyterian, or we're baptized as a Catholic, or as a Lutheran, or whatever, Episcopalian. Folks, we're baptized Christians. We're baptized Christians. So we are part of the larger family. Baptism is not the end. It's not that you were baptized and that's the end of the story. Actually, when you're baptized, I see it that that's the beginning. That that's when new life begins. That that's when you either embrace or your parents or your community of faith or your church has embraced it upon your behalf. That as you move forward with that symbol upon you, that you are moving into a life of transformation. You see, last week we also talked about how in the United Methodist Church, we do baptize children. And, and I've had a couple of folks ask me, well, why, why do we do that? Why do we do that? And, and the reason being is, I want you to think about it for a second. When we baptize a baby, for instance, is there no greater example than that helpless baby to represent how helpless we are coming before God? And remember what I said, that it's not in the person who's getting baptized. It's not even in the baptizer. That's not where the power is. But we see it as a sacrament, which means when it happens, who's the actor? God is. So it's what God is doing. It's not the person. It's what God is doing. And I talked about that great present at Christmas. And some of you all sent me an email saying, Boy, I don't want to be, you know, one of your kids because you, you're nasty until you get your coffee on Christmas morning. Remember when I told you that story? But what we learn, though, is it's this huge gift. 
And then when we, when we baptize, whether it's a child or a student or an adult, if it is a child, then, then we encourage and we nurture that child until he or she comes at a time where they understand the faith story. And that's why it's so important for us to remember that when we baptize somebody, it's not just what's happening up here. Do you recall when we have a baptism, what I say to you? You all need to answer these questions as well. Because that's what baptism is. It's a community event. It's not a solo event. It's a community event. That we undergird the one being baptized with our faith as well. And we promise as an abiding, loving church community that we will be inclusive of those who have been baptized. And that we will treat them as children of God. So the other question that comes up is, is how much water? I mean, you know, how much water and, and, and a particular method. So, so here, here's what we call immersion. And uh, we've got a couple of videos we want to show you here. So this is Chloe. And um, Chloe is one of, our, one of our students here at St. Paul. And there's Allison Van Dyne, our, our student ministry. Leader. So this is what's called immersion. See, they go under the water and they come up. And, and immersion, what, it, what immersion symbolizes is that we die of the world and we rise in Christ. That's what immersion symbolizes. Um, here we see another picture of Ethan. Ethan is one of our students. This was on Confirmation Sunday a couple years ago, and Ethan had never been baptized. So, so what we're gonna do with Ethan is we're going to use the method of what's called sprinkling. Now, why sprinkling? Well, sprinkling is used in, in a lot of churches because a lot of churches just don't have these huge baptismal fonts that people can get into and, and, and have immersed. So see here, I'm sprinkling the water upon him in the name of the Father, of the Son, and the Holy Spirit. A prayer goes over him. He gets signed with the cross, the sealing of the Holy Spirit. And what sprinkling does is it, it takes us back to our Judeo days, to our historical. Remember, Jesus is Jewish, okay? And we go back to the high holy day of Yom Kippur with our Jewish friends. And the day of Yom Kippur was when the high priest would go into the Holy of Holies and he would sprinkle blood on the altar for the atonement of the sins of God's people. That's, that's the symbolic means of sprinkling. Um, we also have used in a church uh, what we call a method of pouring. And pouring is when we take a vessel or a, a shell or something, and, and usually if it's a, a very tiny baby or something, uh, we might pour the water on the forehead of the child. And we do it in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And pouring symbolizes the pouring out of the Holy Spirit. So whether it's by immersion, whether it's by sprinkling, whether it's by pouring, the method doesn't matter. But symbolically, there's reasons to show why that method can be used. Now, you heard me say earlier about babies. Here, here we have uh, baby Chloe was baptized in this, um, or excuse me, baby Harley. Baby Harley was baptized in this service. And uh, I never know what's going to happen when we baptize babies. Um, sometimes they get handed back to their parents very quickly. Um, but but uh, Harley was just absolutely stunning in a sense that um, after we talked uh, with her parents and all, and they answer the questions on her behalf. So here we're sprinkling um, Harley as well. And this is where you come in because um, when we baptize children, especially, as I said a minute ago, that's where you all are the body of Christ and that we come together together to help raise those children in the heart of the church. So it's not just on mom and dad, it's on all of us. And that's why it's so important as we see the significance 
of, of baptism. So when Peter addressed the Gentiles, he made it quite clear that every person is worth the love and the grace of God and that God loves every single person. And this is why baptism is the community event. That is why you and I are part as witnesses, as sojourners of the faith to make baptism real. And that's what's so important for us to also remember, to also remember. You know, some of us can go through life and the fact that we've been baptized, maybe life is just really crushing us in some very powerful ways. And maybe, maybe people are throwing stones at us or saying things about us and we just are no longer sure who we are. And that's why remembering our baptism is so important. And that's why we're offering that uh, next Sunday out at the beach. I'm not going to rebaptize you. We, we don't rebaptize. Remember Ephesians 4, one faith, one church, one, one baptism, one Lord. But remembering helps us to clear the fog in our head, to be reminded about God's amazing grace. So coming up out of the water, the words would be, remember your baptism and keep it holy as God is holy. So next Sunday, I really hope that, that you'll make the opportunity to go. We have the St. Paul bus. I think um, at the time I wrote the e-note, I think we probably had about eight or nine seats left. Uh, it's a first-come, first-served basis. If you want to ride the St. Paul bus, uh, you can check that out on the website or on the app as well. You can call the church office. Uh, we're going to run out of seats very quickly. But uh, if you can't take the bus, uh, then carpool with somebody. And come out, let's make this a huge event. And it's not just for St. Paul. Can you imagine when a couple of hundred people gather on the beach and we're loving God, we're loving each other, we're breaking bread, we're getting into the water, and we're being raised to life. Can you imagine the power of what that witness will be? Raised to life. That is the invitation of Jesus Christ.